All right, Shabbos say good morning. Let us let us begin. Let's begin by thanking our sponsor, our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Elul. To thank Avram and Shindy Kalman for dedicating all the Shum and Joshos this month in memory of their parents. May the Neshamas have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. And to thank Milton Melanie Gertner for dedicating the Dathyomi and the Schlusser for the Fushlima for Shoshana Tova Bas Mindalea. We hope that she, together with Kol Chola Yisrael, will have a complete and enduring refuah. But with that, let us, let us begin. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, excellent. So today's daf is Lamed Bav, 36. We are picking up Amir Hashem on Lamed Hey Amid Beis. And I believe we left off, we left off with the Imnatal Kshira, which was 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 17 lines up from the bottom. So remember again, this is, this is part of the sugya of using an esrog of Meiser Shani. Right? So remember again, the Mishnah said you cannot use an esrog of Meiser Shani. So we saw in the Gemara, that's for two different possibilities. Either because since everything was put in water, ultimately you're machshir the esrog, the kabel tumo, and run the risk of the esrog itself contracting tumo. Or the other possibility is Ibnesha Mafsida, which means ultimately what? Because over the course of Yamtiv, over the course of Yamtiv, you end up going ahead and using the esrog, you end up just diminishing the outer peel of the esrog itself, which is a diminution to Meiser Shani. But then the Mishnah said, However, so as much as you're not supposed to use an esrog of Meiser Shani, if you did use an esrog of Meiser Shani, ultimately you are Yotze. So the Gemara says, why is that? So we'll say, so remember again, if you hold that the lachem determinant is is heterachiba, so does meiser sheni have heterachiba? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Everyone could eat meiser sheni. So, and according to the opinion who says that in order to satisfy the lachem criteria, so edibility is not enough, but you also need financial ownership. So, does meiser sheni satisfy the criteria for financial ownership? And the answer is. That's a machlok, guess you know we married the Rabbanon, because everything depends on how you view the nature of Maiser Shani. Remember again, we saw yesterday's daf, Rabbi Meir holds that Maiser Shani is Mamon Gavoa, that it belongs ultimately again to Akadosh Baruch Hu. In that case, there is no financial ownership. But if you go according to the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon holds that Maiser Shani belongs to the individual. And therefore Halakalamais it satisfies the criteria of financial ownership. Beautiful, says the Marbaita. I will say now we transition a little bit into the halachos of esrog itself. In other words, the blemishes or disqualifications of an esrog. So it says the Gemara also chazozis. So remember again, chazozis, Rashi translated it as abubos, um, which literally means boils or, or blisters. So you have a chazozis on the esrog. Amr of Chista, Dovrezer, Abinu Agad, Amro, Hamokum Yeba Ozro. So it says of Chista, Rabinu Agad, Rabbi Udanos, he said this particular halacha. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu agrees with him. We're going to qualify. When is Chazazas a problem? When is a Chazazas problematic? Only if you have a Chazazas in one area. However, But if you have a Chazazas or Chazizim, right, in a two or three different places, then that's not a problem. To which the Gemara says, Amalei Rava Rava says, What are you talking about? Adrava. I would say just the opposite. Right? 
And we'll say another pasul of, of for for esrog is what's called menumar. Menumar literally means spotted, right? So if the esrog has spots or blotches all over it, ultimately again that's a pasul. Why is that a pasul? On a most basic level, it's a fundamental lack of hider. It just is not beautiful. It's just not beautiful. So therefore, again, the Gemara says, if you have a chazazis or chazisim on two or three different places, that by definition should invalidate the esrog because it is menumer. Ela itmar itmar. The Gemara says, let's reframe this a bit. How do we reframe it? Amiuto kasher. If you have a chazazis on a small part of the esrog, it does not invalidate the esrog. Amr of Chista, Dover Zerabinu Hagadol Amro, Vamakumiyeba Azra of Chista comes along and says, Rabbi Yudha Nasi qualified this, and Akadish Baruchu should support this ruling. Lo Shang Allah Bemakom Echot. When do we say that a Chazazis is not problematic? That's only if it appears on only one spot of the asterisk. Ava Bishnai Mushlosha Makamos. But if the Chazazis appears in two or three different places, Ultimately, again, then it's menumer and it's pasal. So this is actually very interesting. The appearance of a chazazis, and this happens all the time with Esrogim, the appearance of a chazazis, or like a blister or boil-like protrusion on the esrog, does not necessarily invalidate the esrog. Right? Now again, if it appears in two or three different places on the esrog, then we have an issue that the esrog is a spotted esrog, right? A menumer esrog, and then it will be possible. However, listen to this, Rabbi This is probably one of the most important halachos of Hilchos Esrig. Rabbi says, however, if the chazazis, or for that matter, any blemish appears on the chotem of the Esrig, that invalidates the Esrig. So there happens to be a three, four way machlokes about the definition of chotem. But just for our purposes, for that purposes, for Baralan and Dafyomi purposes, if you can imagine as follows, the chotem is effectively the area of the esrog where the esrog begins to narrow towards the top, right? So remember again, let's just assume we're also focusing over here on a typically shaped esrog, which is wider on the bottom, widest at the middle, and then begins to slope in or becomes more narrow towards the top. The chotem is the part of the esrog where the esrog begins to narrow going up. Uh, again, I sent out some pictures. I sent out some pictures and uh, I sent, yeah, this is picture 175. You can begin to see it a little bit. You can begin to see it a little bit. You can also 175, 176. Again, there's a lot of machloksim over here. We're not going to get into the machloksim, but suffice it to say, when looking at an esrog, and wanting to see the kashras of the esrog, the part you want to focus on most is the top part from where the esrog becomes more narrow. Anything, any discoloration on the chotem can disqualify the esrog. Specifically, again, black dots, things like that would disqualify the esrog. So again, that's the, so there's two halachas that come out of here. Number one, if an esrog just has a chazazis, a regular chazazis, a regular we'll call boil or blemish, that would not necessarily disqualify the esrog. If there's two or three of them, that would disqualify the esrog because halacha lemaisi, the esrog now becomes menumer, spotted. When checking for the kashras of the esrog, we want to look at the chotem, right? We want to go ahead and look at the towards the top where the esrog begins to narrow to make sure that that is clean and blemish free. Let's say, you know, it's also an incredible muster if you think about it. The esrog is domel aleiv, right? It's domel to the heart. So as much as it would be wonderful to say that the goal is to have a blemish-free heart, 
It doesn't quite work that way. Are there people who have a blemish-free heart? Absolutely. Do most of us have a blemish-free heart? Absolutely not. But the goal is what? Don't let it be manure. Don't let it be manure, right? Don't let it be spotted and speckled. Don't, don't, don't have too many blemishes. And furthermore, on the most icker parts of your heart, right? The, mo- the, the, most, the, most, the most profound parts of your heart, the chotem, that top part, that really has to be blemish-free. There has to be a part of me that's blemish-free. There has to be a part of me that is kulo kaddish. The entirety of me, that can't be kulo kaddish. It's just not the way it works. There's always a chazaz is somewhere. But some part of my life, some part of my heart, some part of my persona, I do have to carve out an area in my life where I am blemish-free. It's an incredible yisod. You don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be excellent in everything. But I have to be excellent in something, right? There has to be something where I carve out and I say, you know what? This is what I'm adapting in. This is what I'm going to try to be perfect in. This is what I'm going to try to be blemish-free in. Now, the trick in life is choosing the right thing, right? Because sometimes what ends up happening is we're medactic in the wrong areas, right? In other words, I could be medactic in something, and it's a good thing, it's an important thing, but I'm like over-the-top medactic, and this is actually not the area that requires that level of diktuk, right? That level of adherence. It's important, and often, again, we have to go on, but often what ends up happening is we try to find perfection in areas that are easiest for us to find perfection because it's low-lying fruit, but those are not necessarily the areas of life where I need to go ahead and achieve some level of perfection. So the bottom line, the bottom line that the hashkafa that the Yimran is trying to teach us is that the lave is often not blemish-free, but I have to carve out an area that is, but you also can't allow yourself to live with too many blemishes. And I have to make sure that I carve out an area in my life, in my persona, that is blemish-free. What to choose, what to focus on, that requires a lot of deliberation, right? And a lot of forethought. To which the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, not la pit masar. What's I said, this is probably the most common case. That's right. Pitam comes off. Pitam comes off. So remember again, what did the Mishnah say? If the pitam comes off, what was the Lashon of the Mishnah? Not la pit masar. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just looking for not pit puzzle. Right? So again, we know this halach the pitam comes off, it's puzzle. But say very important very important qualification. That's only if the buchanto came off. Now both say the truth is, I think I sent you a picture of this as well. I think there's a picture of this. Uh, the truth is, it, it, actually, it's, it's very simple. If you go ahead and you look at picture, just, I think, I don't think I printed all the pictures. You have picture 176? Good. Just take a look at 176. So this is the, the Esther lying down. So again, you could just see this. Actually, if we don't even need, you don't need a picture if you don't want. The pitum is made up of two parts, right? There's like the circular bulb part on top. That is called the Shoshanta. And then there is the stem part. The stem part is what the Gemara is calling the Buchanta. Buchanta. So the Gemara says like this. When we talk about that if the pitam is removed, the esrog is puzzle. So if the Shoshanta, if the bulb part itself comes off, but the stem part remains, the esrog is still kasher. The only time the esrog becomes invalidated is if the pitam in its entirety comes off. 
both the Shoshanta, the bulb, as well as the Buchanta, as well as the actual stem. This is actually very important, I'll say, because the truth is very often when you have esteric accidents, which, you know, most esteric accidents occur within one mile of the home. That's what, that's what they say. Right? So, 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 so again, so if you have an esteric accident, very often people don't realize this, there is often a part of the pitum that remains. As long as there is some part of the pitam that remains, that esrog is kosher. It's not hadar. It's not hadar. So, for example, if this happened on the first day of Yantiv before you had an opportunity to use your esrog, it's better to go ahead and borrow someone else's esrog as a matana. Definitely better. But Allah says, as long as there's some part of that pitam that remains, your esrog is technically kosher. And you'd be surprised more often than not, when you have esrog accidents, there is some, it's rare that the entire pitam just snaps off. It's more common that it's dropped, the shoshanta, the top part comes off, part of the stem comes off, but as long as something remains, your esrog is vidi evid kasher. Good. Niklaf, what if the esrog is peeled? Amrav of high esrog da aglid ka'ahino sumka kshera. This is very interesting. If you have an esrog that was peeled, right, and above what you pointed out, an esrog actually has a very thick peel. When we talk about the esrog being peeled, what they're really referring to over here is the outer peel. Let's say you totally have an outer, right? The esrog, the entire outer peel was removed. And as a result, the esrog becomes colored like a reddish date. Because, you know, once that outer rind is removed, ultimately, again, then I guess because of sunlight, the, the, the ch- coloring changes. Let's say the esrog becomes colored. The coloration is like a red in date. Ultimately, it's kosher. Gemara says, really? But we learned that if an esrog was peeled, it becomes puzzle. So what's going on over here? This is very interesting. If the esrog is missing part of its peels, part, part, parts of its peel in different places, it becomes puzzle, right? Why does it become puzzle? All spotted, right? It's minumer. But if the entire outer rind ultimately again was removed, then what? Then it's kosher. In, in, interesting halacha, right? Part of the peel, but again, part of the peel is removed. It, it's not. It's not possible because it's because it's peeled. It's possible because the appearance now will take on one of a spotted a menumer esrog. But if the entire outer rind is removed, and therefore as a result the coloration changes, that esrog will be kosher. Nistak nikeit if the esrog is split, or the esrog is perforated, punctured. Tani ula barchanina. Nikave, Nakav Mafulash Pemashu, Vishena Mafulash Bekeiser. So I'll say ultimately, again, in terms of the invalidation, if the esrog is pierced, right, and the piercing goes all the way through, goes all the way through, then even the smallest hole that is created will invalidate the esrog. Sheena Mafulash, however, again, if the esrog is pierced in a way where Allah said the piercing does not go all the way through, it's only problematic if the hole is the size of an iser. Iser is the size of a coin. By Rava. But this is an interesting case. By Rava. Very interesting case. What happens if your esrog develops simani trefa? The Rava say simani trefa refers to the, to the invalidations of an animal. Right? If an animal, if an animal develops certain simani trefa. Simani trefa are certain things which represent, which represent certain conditions that are fatal to the animal. So you hear what's happening over here? The Gemara says, what happens if your esrig develops simani trefa? What's ta'alacha? So my kami bayle, so what, 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 I don't understand, what, what does that mean, esrig developing simani trefa? This is fascinating. In miklof, tanina. 
if you're asking about a peel desrug, okay, so we spoke about that before. Inistok, if you're asking about a split esrog, right, or an esrog with a hole in it, Tanina, we spoke about that. Inigave, if it's a perforation, Tanina, we learned about that. So what, what, what is your question exactly, right? What's the question? Ki kami boile, kidu'ula amra biyochanan. Let's listen to this. Kidu'ula amra biyochanan. Reya, shenishpecha kekiton kshira. This is a very interesting case. So often, simani trephis, simani trephis occur, could occur in the lungs. Let's see how the following situation. This animal has a condition where essentially its lungs have begun to liquefy. That, that's the situation. Lungs have begun to liquefy. And as a result, what has occurred? So ultimately, the lungs could literally translate, it means the lungs could be poured, right? For, could be poured out. So if you were to open up that animal, put its lungs in a receptacle, ultimately, again, you could pour it from one utensil to another. So if you have a lung that has liquefied and could be poured from literally utensil to utensil, the is... The halacha is that it is kosher. That it is kosher. Vamarava, Ravi gives an important qualification here. Vuhu dekaima simfunha. That's only if the bronchial tubes are still intact. In other words, there has to be some part of the lung that is still in a solid mass, that is still there. If the lung has totally liquefied, then halacha lamaisa, it's problematic. But if the lungs themselves have liquefied, but the bronchial tubes are still intact, the animal is still kosher. But again, if the bronchial tubes themselves are liquefied, then the animal would be a trefa. Okay, so we'll say, so that's the halacha. You just got a little bonus material. You just got a little hilchos. Trefa of animals today, great. We'll say, listen to this. What about a parallel case by Esrik? In other words, we'll say, so what's, what's, the, what's the parallel case? So listen to this situation. Imagine the, the interior of the esteric. So let's say the, right, the innermost esteric is, let's say, the, the area where the seeds are contained. So what would happen if the area around the seeds totally liquefied? Right? So the interior of the esteric liquefied, but the outside was intact. What would be the status of such an esteric? Hacha mai. To which the Gemara says, Dilma. Look, if you look at Rashi, it's actually Rashi right across. Hachamai, in mimuach v'kaimi simfunha da'hainu chedre hazera shagar inu b'socha. So we'll say, what the bronchial tubes are to the lungs, so the inner area, what the Gemara calls the chedre hazera, the, the seed chamber, which is the area where the seeds are contained, right? If that area, so what happens if the entire area of the estrog liquefies, but the seed area is intact? Is that the equivalent to the bronchial tubes of the animal being intact or not? So Dilma Hadirbari. So maybe the only reason I will say, because you think about this for just a moment, you know, if the ling, if the lungs liquefy and the bronchial tubes are intact, why wouldn't that render the animal a trefa? So the Gemara says maybe because everything is quote unquote locked in the animal, there's the possibility for it to regenerate. Right? That's why the animal is not called, not called a trefa. The bronchial tubes are intact, the lungs could regenerate, and you could be okay. However, the but an estrig, right, which is much smaller and, and exposed to the elements, maybe saruchi misrachas. Maybe even if the seed chamber is intact, if the area around it has liquefied, that estrig is done. Odoma, Loshno, or maybe there's no difference. And maybe again, just like by the animal, as long as the bronchial tubes are intact, 
the animal is not a treva. So to by the esrog, as long as the chedre zera, right? As long as the area where the seeds are contained is intact, even if the area around it liquefied, the esrog will still be kasha. So that's, that's the shayla. This, this is the shayla in aloha. So the Gemara tries to prove it from the b'risa. Tashma, esrog, tafuach, saruach, kavush, shalok. So we'll say if you have an esrog, tafuach literally means it's decayed. It's decayed. Saruach means it has rotted. We'll discuss what that means. Kavush, kavush means you pickled it. Interesting. Kshaluk, you went and you cooked it. Kushi, black esrog. Lavan, white esrog. Minumar, ultimately again, minumar is spotted esrog. All of these cases, puzzle. All of these cases, right? The esrog is, is, we spoke about this before, puzzle. Esrog, kikador, puzzle. Ultimately, again, if you have an esrog, that ultimately, again, is like a ball, then it is possible. Obviously, also, if you have a twin esrog, the esrog ultimately is possible. So I will say, now, what's a twin esrog? So a twin esrog is kind of like, if you can imagine, if you can imagine, like a peach that has, like, to split down the middle. So if you can imagine, if you had an esrog that grew with a more pronounced split, to the point that it looks like two esrogim in one. I think there was a picture of that in the pictures I sent you also. You can take a look. Right? So, so again, that's called an esrog hatiom and will be puzzle. The esrog hatiom. Esrog haboser. So again, we go through this whole right? So esrog haboser. And we'll say esrog haboser is an immature esrog. Right? An esrog in its, in its early stages. Rashi says haboser. Katan kapul halavan. It's tiny. It's tiny like a white lentil. So what happens there? Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva says the posel. Techacham says kasher. We're going to go through each of these cases. So the Gemara says chamachshir. Gadlo This is an interesting case. What happens if you grew the esrog in a mold? If you can imagine like this, when the esrog is young and immature, you go ahead and you wrap a you, you put it into a, it's still on the tree. You put it into a mold. But this way again, it grows. In a certain form, so again, you went ahead and you made it in different shapes, like a different, like a different creation. You decide you want to make a new brand. You know, like they make these, uh, you know, like the kids' chicken nuggets in different, uh, different, you know, different shapes. You decide you want to start a kids' estrog line. You want to make estrog that look di- like look dinosaurs, right? It's a new, new marketing niche. So you go, you put it into a defus. So the Gemara says that's possible. That's possible. Now we're going to go through all of these cases. Go through all these cases. Katani miyasa. We'll say now. Remember, what's our shaila? What are we dealing with over here? We want to know that if you have an esrog that has essentially has liquefied on the inside, but the chedre zera are intact, like the trefa, like the like the, well, not it's not trefa, like the animals whose lungs have liquefied, but the bronchial tubes are intact. What is the status of such an esrog like that? So we'll say like katani mihas tafuach. Saruah. Now, if you notice again, the Gemara listed two different psulim. There is tafuach, which we translate as decay, and there is saruach, which we translate as rotted. Now, the truth is, when you hear that, it sounds like what? It sounds like what? They're the same thing. Obviously, if they're being listed separately, they're not the same thing. To which the Gemara says, My love, tafuach mi bachutz, visaruach mi bifnim. Are we not talking about a situation? It must be. That decay, right? Tafuach means rotted on the outside, and saruach means rotted on the inside. 
In which case, again, if an esrog has any level of decay, whether it's external decay or internal decay, ultimately, and the esrog should be invalid, to which the Gemara says, low, actually, it's not true. Both of them are referring to decay externally. To which the Gemara says, no, look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, Sarach, uh, my love, tafuach mi bachutz, shenifchas v'nirkav mi bachutz. So the Gemara, the Havamina is that tafuach means external decay, and saruach mi bifnim, Rashi says, uklipaso kayames kimin reya shnishukal kiton. Now both say, now saruach would seem to be the case where the externality of the esrog is intact, right? The inside, the internally, it is decayed kind of like the case of the animal whose lungs have liquefied. And yet again, you see that it's possible, to which the Gemara says, Lo tafuach sarach, sarach tafach. What does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. Tafach, kigon shenaflu gishamim betalush, the tafach the sarach nirkav, lishnachrina tafach nirkav sarach reyach ra, mach maslon shachlu. To which the Gemara essentially says, no, what tafuach and saruach means, essentially, if the esrog experiences any level of external decay, Right, any level of external decay, whether it's a more profound level of decay, a smaller amount of decay, the rice has come to tell me such an esrog will be possible. And I must say, you have to understand something. All of these psulim make a lot of sense. Why? Because at the end of the day, right, what makes the esrog unique? What, what is the like defining characteristic of esrog? Hadar. Right? So it makes a lot of sense that at the end of the day, anything that goes ahead and takes away from that hinder in a significant way is going to undermine the conscious of the Esser. Good Rebbe says, so that takes care of that situation. Now, so therefore, I just want to point out, well, when I say take care, it takes care of it, we actually don't have an answer to our question. So the question about whether or not if the external part of the Esser is intact, but there is internal decay, is the Esser kasha or not? The Gemara does not answer that question because it turns out that Tafuach and Saruach both refer to what? Different forms of external decay. Neither of them are talking about internal decay. It's actually the shaila about whether or not an esrog that it has experienced internal decay, but the chedre zera are still intact, that question remains unanswered. By trefa, we know that such an animal, interestingly enough, as long as the bronchial tubes are intact, the animal is not a trefa, is not a trefa. But Allah, again, by esrog, the Gemara leaves it unanswered. Amr Esrik kushi puzzle. So what's it? we learned that a black esrik and esrik kushi is puzzle. Iva tanya esrik kushi kosher. But yet we learned in a brisa that an esrik kushi that an esrik kushi is kosher. A black. So we'll say which one is it? Is a black esrik puzzle or kosher? To which the gemara says domela kushi puzzle. So the brisa interestingly enough says an actual esrik kushi is kosher. An a domela kushi is puzzle. What does that mean? Take a look at Rashi. This is very interesting. Domelakushi is Shagadl Khan Baharu Shacha. But listen to this. So the Brisa says if you have a genuine Ethiopian esrog, which means an esrog grown in Ethiopia that is naturally black, that's the way, remember again, I both say, that's the way esrogim apparently grow in that region. That esrog is kasher. If you have an esrog that grows, let's say, in Eretz or Bavel, that looks like an esrogushi, right? That's not kasher. Why? Because that's an aberration. So what the Gemara is essentially saying is like this. If you have a natural grown Esra Kushi in Kush, that Esra is Kasher. 
But if you have an, an Esr that looks like an Esr Kushi, but grows in a different region, ultimately that Esr will be possible. To which the Gemara says, Amra Baye, Kitna Naimas Nisan Dom Kushi. You're right. When the Mishnah says, so, we'll say, so therefore it's a Kasha. The, the Braise says that a genuine Esr Kushi is Kasher. But if you have a black esrog that grows in a different region, that's not kush, the esrog will be puzzle. But yet, our mission seems to make a blanket statement that an esrog kushi is puzzle. What's going on over here? No, no, no. Our mission is also dealing with what? Our mission is dealing with the case of a black esrog that grew somewhere outside of kush. That esrog is puzzle. To which the Gemara says, Rava Amar, so Rava Amar, Lokasha, Halan Vahaluhu. There's another distinction, Rava says. It depends who we're talking about. Rashi says like this Rashi says that at the end of the day, Halan, in Eretz Yisrael, an Esra Kushi is possible. Because in Eretz Yisrael, we don't have a Srogim like that. Right? But right, look at Rashi, Halan Vahaluhu, second wide line. Liola Mastis in Kushi Nami Pasal, Vahokasha Mastis in Eretz Yisrael, Sherechokim Eretz Kush, Vayna Regilim Bahem. So Rabbi makes a much simpler distinction. One, right, when the Mishnah says Esra Kushi is puzzle, that's talking about from B'nai Eretz Yisrael. Because in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't have black Esrogim. In Bavel, they did have a black Esrogim. So in Bavel, interestingly enough, the use of a black Esrog was permitted. In Eretz Yisrael, the use of a black Esrog was prohibited because it was not the norm. Incredible. I will say, again, same idea. What's problematic with a black Esrog? Well, it depends. If it's not the normal growth in your region, then it lacks hider. If it is the normal growth in your region, then it possesses hider. So Rabbi says, in Eretz Yisrael, it's not hider, it's not hider. In Babel, it is hotter. That's the distinction. Esra Gaboser, so saying, we're going through the Bryson which is very, very interesting. Esra Gaboser, so which is a very small Esra. Rabbi Akiva, Poser, Chamachshir. Rabbi Akiva says it's possible. The Chacham say it's kosher. Amr Rabba, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon, Amru Davar Echad. Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon, in fact, they espoused the same ruling. Rabbi Akiva had the Amram. So Rabbi Akiva, as we just said before, Rabbi Akiva says that Esra Gabosra, a very small Esra, is going to be possible. What did Rabbi Shimon say? Rabbi Shimon Maihi, the sign Rabbi Shimon Poderes HaEsrogim Bakotnon. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Shimon holds that a very small Esra is Potter from Chumas and Maestros. That's how he paskins. Why? Because since it's not a fully formed fruit, therefore halach lamais is part from shumas and maisrus. So the Gemara wants to say Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon are really saying the same thing. Rabbi Akiva is saying you can't use a really small esrog. Why not? Why not? Why not? It's not an esrog. An esrog is a fully formed fruit. And Rabbi Shimon says a very small esrog is part from shumas and maisrus. Why? Why? It's not a fruit. So therefore they're saying the same thing. Amalei Abai Abai says maybe not. Maybe not. Domalohi. It could be the Rabbi Akiva holds that Allah The reason if it's very small you can't use it is because by Esrig, remember again the driving force in Hilchos Esrig is Hadar, 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 Hadar. It's all about going ahead and making the pre beautiful. I should say using something that is beautiful. So if something lacks physical beauty, that's an invalidation by Esrik. If it's so small, it's simply not Hadar. So the Gemara says, But Rabbi Akiva might hold that in the world of Trumas and Maestras, maybe even a very small Esrik would be Chayav and Trumas and Maestras. Inami, 
Furthermore, again, Rabbi Shimon might hold that smaller shrugim are not subject to Trumas and Maestros. Do you know why? Because the Pasuk says, what should you tithe? Only a type of fruit from which you could go ahead and retrieve seeds to plant the next cycle of crops. But if you have a fruit that's so small that it would not remember, I'll say, if you take a very small immature esrug, those seeds will not be capable of producing the next crop. That's why Rabbi Shimon says, because remember again, the way the Torah phrases the tithing obligation is, what should you tithe? Kol tvu'as zar'acha. Literally again, the, 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 the tvu'a, the grain of your seed. The way Rabbi Shimon Darshan's is, you only tithe something that is capable of producing seed, which could in turn plant something else. So if you have immature esrogim that are not capable of planting seeds to perpetuate the min, to perpetuate the species, you don't have to tithe it. Aval hocha, but maybe by an esrog, maybe by esrog, Rabbi Shimon would agree with the Rabbana that even a very small esrog is fit for you. So what all the Gemara just did is it was, it was natural to want to group Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon together because they're both disqualifying small esrogim. Rabbi Akiva disqualifying it for the use of esrog, Rabbi Shimon disqualifying it for the, from the tithing obligation. It's natural to group them together, to which the Gemara says, maybe not. Maybe not. It could be. It could be. But it's also quite as possible that they actually disagree with one another. Good. Amid days. Vesulomidi. Well, say I always love this. The Gemara says Vesulomidi means there is nothing more to talk about on this topic. Right? This is great. Let's say you know every once in a while the Gemara sounds like our parents. Right? Conversation's over. Right? Conversation. Conversation's over. We're done. We're done here. We're done here. Vesulomidi. Which I will say, by the way, if you think about it, why does the Gemara have to say stuff like that? Right? What well, Rashi says over here. Ain lodun achar davar zeh the lo savar Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Akiva the Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Shimon the Gemara says you, you know you know we're done Rabbi Shimon doesn't like Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva doesn't like Rabbi Shimon why does he have to say that why the need to say that so say first of all because sometimes in Gemara subjects are left open so it's you know and, and that requires further exploration and sometimes again the Gemara is saying the case is closed we'll say it's an incredible yisod in life to try to like know what things you should pursue and what things you should let go, right? This comes up in the realm of interpersonal relationships all of the time, right? There's an issue. There's a machlokas. There's a machlokas. So you go ahead and sometimes you reach some level of resolution on the machlokas, but it's not full resolution. It takes, sometimes you have to be a pikeh. You have to be wise in life to know when do you continue to pursue something in an effort to go ahead because you want more clarity and when do you let Things lie. When do you just? But say, although even though sometimes we want absolute clarity with certain things, at the end of the day, many times life is not absolute clarity. Do you push or do you leave it alone? Do you pursue a certain course or do you leave it alone? Do you continue the conversation or do you leave it alone? And what the Gemara is teaching us is that sometimes, sometimes for the greater good and for the sense of greater accomplishment, you have to learn when to let things go and move on. Because, it, you know, we'll say, we could keep on talking about Rabbi Kiva Rabbi Shimon. We could spend a whole, we could spend a whole set on Rabbi Kiva Rabbi Shimon. But that's not a worthwhile pursuit. So the Gemara Salah has to tell us, Vesu lo midi. We'll say, it's a good mantra for life. Especially if you get embroiled in machlokas, right? Or you get embroiled in disputes. Sometimes it's a good thing to say, Vesu lo midi. Okay, I'm done.
I'm done. This is not a good place to put my energies anymore. This is not a good place to put my kohos. It's not, it's not productive to continue down this path. Su lo midi, we're done. I'm going to direct my energies now towards more productive outlets. Incredible you sowed. God love it, the fuss. But say, if you go ahead and you grow the esrog in a mold, and you want to make it in a different shape, ultimately, again, it is puzzle. To which the Gemara says, Amarava, only if mamish like you're making it into a different shape. In other words, I will say, if you want to go ahead, you know, you have a great idea. You want to make an esrog that looks like a cluster of grapes. So you have a mold and you put it like, so the esrog grows like a cluster of grapes. Or you want to make it look like uh, the Malach Gavriel, whatever the Malach Gavriel looks like, you know, whatever that is. So the Gemara says, okay, that's possible because it no longer looks like an esrog. About Kibrioso. But I will say, see, this is actually very interesting. If you want to put it in a mold to make it look like the perfect desert, which I will say, I think it is, is an incredible marketing idea, right? In other words, that, think about this. You have a mold of the perfectly shaped esteric. You put that around the growth so that as the esteric matures, it grows in that perfect giggle, in that perfect shape. Kasher, that's kasher, that, that's, that's fine. I'm sure if it hasn't been done, there's a reason why it hasn't been done. First, the Gemara says, Pshita, okay, that, I mean, what's, that's obvious, because the Bryce has said, Kemin Beria Acheres. The Bryce was explicit. When can't you use a mold? You can't use a mold to make the asterisk look like a different type of creation. To which the Gemara says, Lotzricha, Davide, Dapi, Dapi. Rabbi say, ultimately, again, you made the asterisk, Dapi, Dapi. The case of Dapi, Dapi, this is one of the pictures. This was picture 183. So you can see the mold that was made, where essentially dapi dapi means you make the esrog almost like looks like an accordion esrog, where there are there are indentations, you know, at every. So it actually happens a little. It actually is very looks very pretty. You made it dapi dapi. So the gemara says, the gemara says this is the case kibriyaso. In other words, we'll say if you made it like this, it's kosher. Why? Because at the end of the day, you haven't changed the actual form of the esrog. What you've done is you've made a design in the form. If you've made a design in the form, that's fine. When the Gemara says, when is it possible? If you do something to fundamentally change the form and make it look like something else. In other words, when you look at that picture 183, that esrog still looks like an esrog, right? It still looks like an esrog. But at the end of the day, it just has a design in it. That's going to be okay. If you were to fundamentally change the actual shape into something else, that's when it becomes problematic. Incredible. Incredible, says the Gemara. Says the look at Rash. Yeah, good, good. That's that's also Kabir is fine. Gemara says Itmar Esrik Shenakvu. So I will say so again. I want to point out Halakhalamai said the use of a mold is okay as long as you don't change the fundamental shape of an esrik. So even if the mold itself makes a design in the esrik, that's picture one eighty three. You're making a design in the esrik, but you didn't change the shape. That's okay. When is it problematic to use a mold? If you're fundamentally, you want to make your dinosaur esrogim, you want to make your malach gabriel esrogim, you want to make your cluster of grapes esrogim, that's when it's problematic. Good. Itmar esrog shinak vo'ach barim, what's the interesting case? What if you have an esrog and mice nibbled on the esrog? Mice nibbled on the esrog. Now, nakvu literally means they pierced. They pierced the esrog. So, amarav ein zehadar. So, Rav says, look, it's not hadar. It's not hadar. And therefore, you're... You should not use it. Ini, is that your boss? Listen to this. Ini, Vaha, Rabbi Chanina, Matbilba, Vinafikba. 
Well, say, what did Rabbi Hanina do with his esrog? This is great. He was dipping some esrog dipping sauce, right? You got a couple of sauces in front of you, right? You have your esrog dipping. What would he do? He would dip it. He would take a bite out of it. And then he would go ahead and use it for the mitzvah. Pretty incredible, right? The Gemara says, by the way, that's problematic on a variety of levels. They both say the Mishnah explicitly said that an esrog that is chaser, right? Which means an esrog that is missing part of it, which inevitably happens when? When? When you take a bite out of it, it's possible. So what's going on over here? How could this esrog be kosher? So So the Mishnah, according to the beginning, is not problematic. Why? When the Mishnah says you can't use an esrog that's chaser, that's referring to the first day of Yamtiv. Because again, as we've seen, and we'll continue to see this, the stakes are higher for the mitzvah of esrog on day one. So when can't you use a deficient esrog for the mitzvah? That's day one when the mitzvah is daraisa. When did Rabbi Hanina dip and bite? That was when? Day two and on. Elo the Rav, Kasha. I, but according to Rav, but according to Rav, right? Rav Sam again, Rav holds that an esrog that is deficient is not hudder. So ultimately again, so ultimately again, how could, how could Rabbi Hanina go ahead and take a bite? I remember again, Rav said if, that if the mice nibbled on the esrog, it's not kosher because it's no longer hudder. So we would assume it's the same thing if you're taking a bite. How can you take a bite out of it that lacks hidder now? So this is very interesting. shiny achbarim dema'isi. Well, so this is actually very interesting. Rav will make a distinction between a bite made by the owner of the esrog versus a bite made by mice. When mice nibble at something, the item becomes disgusting. When a person takes a bite out of their esrog, the esrog doesn't become disgusting. It may become deficient. So because it's chaser, that'll be problematic for day one use. But chaser could technically be speaking, be used from day two and forward. It's a very interesting distinction. So Rav will prohibit you using an esrog that was nibbled on by mice because that lacks hinder because it's disgusting. But an esrog which you took a bite out of could technically speaking be kosher for day two and on use. Very interesting. Iga the Amri, an alternate version of this. Amarav, Zehadar. This is still Hadar. Rav would say, even now in this version, Rav is saying that even if the esrog was nibbled on by mice, it's still usable because it still possesses Hidr. How do we know that? Because Rabbi Hanina would dip his esrog and take a bite out of it. So you see from here that even if the esrog is missing a piece, it's still harder. To which the Gemara says, Oh Rabbi Hanina, Kasha Masnis. And according to Rabbi Hanina, what about the Mishnah? That says you can't use an esrog that's chaser. Lo Kasha, Kan Biyam Tavishin, Kan Biyam Tavshini. Again, when can't you use an esrog that is chaser? That is ultimately again on Yom Tavishon. You can. Okay, so two different versions of we'll say of the discussion. Esther Katan, you can't go ahead and so we'll say, by the way, j- just so you should know, that Allah we do Paskin that way, that under certain circumstances, uh, an Esrug that is chaser, right? An Esrug that is that is missing part of it can technically under certain circumstances, depending on where it's chaser or how it's chaser, be kosher for use from day two and on. It will not be kosher for use on day one. So again, not, not advocating the Rabbi Hanina model of the dip and bite, right? This is the classic Esrik dip and bite. So we're not, not, not advocating for that because clearly it's not the Chatrila, but it is interesting to know that Allah Chalamais on day one, biting your Esrik will invalidate it, but from day two and on, depending where you bite it, how you bite it, how much you bite out of it, could technically be kosher. Esrik cotton. So remember again, the Bryce said a very small Esrik 
ultimately will be invalid. So also, this is very interesting. Amar Afram, so also, I'm sorry. Esther Cotton, this is back to the Mishnah. So Esther Cotton, the Mishnah discussed what is the smallest shear for Esther. The smallest shear for Esther. So remember again, the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said, Shir Esther Gakatan, Rabbi Meir says Ke'egos, the size of a walnut. Rabbi Huda says Kebetza, the size of an egg. So the Mara points out something very interesting. The Gemara says, Amarah from Bar Papa, Kemachlokes Khan, Machlokes Ba'avonim Mikor Zolos. So we'll say the same Machlokes that appears over here by Esther is the same Machlokes that appears by wiping stones. We'll also remember again, this takes us back to Shabbos and Erevin. The way they used to wipe themselves is with sharpened stones. We spoke as well. Do not try this at home, and don't Google it either. It's probably not going to not going to be a good idea, right? So I'll say. So the, the the idea over here is so so sharpen stones for wiping. So the Gemara says the Sanya. So I'll say we're talking about over here is actually this is great hilchos muktza. This is not hilchos hotza. Stones are muktza on Shabbos. Again, stones are muktza on Shabbos with, with qualification. We learn the smichas chaver with qualifications. There are ways to make stones not muktza on Shabbos, or there, I mean before Shabbos, I should say. So listen to this. The Sanya. Shabbos, you're allowed to go ahead and take three stones with you for wiping purposes. Either Muktza, Shabbos say essentially Muktza's Drabanam. Chazal relaxed their prohibition in a situation of Kavad Abrios, human dignity. So because wiping after one defecates is an issue of human dignity, Chazal relaxed their halachas of Muktza. How many stones can you take with you for wiping? Three stones. Three stones. So the Gemara says, the Kamashi Uran, what's the size of those stones? Rabbi Meir, Omer Ke'egos. Rabbi Meir says, the size of a walnut. Rabbi Yehud, Omer Kebeta, the size of an egg. So all the Gemara is just pointing out of here is, by the way, that the size, right, the size Machlokes, that appears by Esrig, interestingly enough, also appears by Avana Mikrozolos, the wiping stones as well. Very interesting. So the Gemara goes back to, but God look at Yishiochaz. So then when it came to the upper limit of an esrog, we had another machlokas, right? What was the machlokas? So here I both say the largest size of an esrog. So the Tanakama says it has to be Kadesh Yochaz Shnaim Biyado. An esrog can only be so big that you could hold two esrogim in your hand at once. Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yoh- I'm sorry, that was Rabbi Huda. Right? The largest share of an esrog can hold two esrogim in your hand at once. Rabbi Yossi says even one esrog in two hands. Even one asterisk in two ends. Says the Gemara, Tanya, Rabbi this is incredible. Tanya, Rabbi Yossi, Meiser Rabbi Akiva, Shebala Beis Haknes. As one time Rabbi Akiva came to Shul. Listen to this. The Esrogo Al Ksefo. He was carrying his asterisk on his shoulder. That is one zaftig asterisk, right? That is one big asterisk. Holding it on his shoulder, the Gemara says, so, so, so again, so what you have over here is Rabbi Yossi saying, obviously you see, you could even use a huge esrog. Rabbi Akiva is coming with his esrog slung over his back. And it's Rabbi Akiva. To which Rabbi Huda will respond. Boss, is incredible. Amr Abdullah Rabbi Huda. Misham Raya. Don't bring a ride from that story. Afheim Amrulo ain Zehadar. Yeah, Rabbi Yossi, the only one problem. You're only quoting part of the story. You know what the end of the story is? The end of the story is the other Rabbanim and his managers say, Akiva, what is that? Right, what's up with that? Right, that's not an esrog. That's not hadar. That's not beautiful. They told him you're not yotze with that. You're not yotze with that. With that particular. With that particular. Um, with that particular esrog. We'll say have the shulchanach paskins. You could use as big of an esrog as you want. There, there's no limitation. Now, again, from a practical perspective, like we saw the Gemara said, because often you have to do some maneuvering with your lulav and your esrog. So on a practical level, conventional wisdom is 
use something smaller that could be held in one hand, but technically speaking, a person could use a very large asterisk if they want to. We'll say, you know, I think that there is a beautiful, beautiful Moser Haskell in this Gemara, that, you know, the Gemara frames it as Rabbi Akiva comes into the base Medrash, and he has Esrogo al Kseifo, his Esrog is on his shoulders, and they tell him, Ein Zehader. It's not beautiful. So we'll say, perhaps what the Gemara is also trying to teach us is a very profound lesson in mitzvahs. That sometimes in life, a person walks around with their mitzvahs al Kseifo on their shoulders. They walk around with a feeling and emoting this idea that mitzvahs are such a burden, that it's something I have to do. I schlep around Torah on my shoulders, I schlep around mitzvahs on my shoulders. I do, I do it. I do what I have to do. But the truth is, the truth is, it's, it, it's a peckle that sits on my shoulders. Not Hashan Rabbi Akiva was doing this, just a metaphorical message from the Gemara. Sometimes I walk into the base medrash, I walk into the shul, I walk into my house, I walk into my mishpacha, and the mitzvahs are sitting on my shoulder. And you know what happens when you walk around with mitzvahs sitting on your shoulder? It's true. Do you get the job done? Do you fulfill the obligation? Absolutely. You know what the problem is? Ain't zahadr. It's not beautiful. That's not the way to be a Jew. Right? The way to be a Jew is to recognize that it is a privilege to serve. It is a privilege to be an Eved Hashem. It is a privilege to have Torah. It is a privilege to have mitzvahs. It's a privilege to have the responsibilities that we have. Are they responsibilities? Yes. Are they sometimes overwhelming? Yes. But it's the whistle-while-you-work mentality. I have to work, right? I have to work hard. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what a privilege it is. And by the way, this is the key to successful chinuch. Because if our children see that we treat our Yiddishkeit as another thing to do, then they'll grow up without that love of it as well. So Rabbi Akiva walks in, and the esrog is on his shoulders, and Chazad rabbis say, if that's the way you're operating, not Rabbi Akiva, this wasn't Rabbi Akiva, but again, if, if, I, if I bear everything like a burden, ain't zahadar. Ultimately, again, this is not beautiful. I both say, let's just do the Mishnah, then we'll stop. Mishnah. Rabbi Huda says, if you go ahead, if you go ahead and you have to bind the Lulav, right? we have an ongoing machlokas. Does the Lulav have to be bound or not bound? There's an ongoing dispute. If you go ahead, so if you go ahead and you bind the Lulav, you can only bind the Lulav with Mino. Mino means one of the Dalad Minim. Rabbi Huda. Ramir says, no, Afilu. You could even bind it with a string of linen. So the Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Meir, Maisev Anshe Yushalayim, this is how beautiful this is, the Raya, Anshe Yushalayim, Sheyo Ogden, Esulavayim, Bigimonios Shalzav. Yushalayim used to bind their lulav with strands of gold. With strands of gold. So that seems to be a Raya that you could bind your lulav with whatever you want. Amar Lo Bamino, how you Ogden also Mimalat. No, no, you can't bring a Raya there. In Yushalayim, what they used to do is, they would bind the lulavim with the actual min, one of the Dalad Minim. And then on top of that, they would put beautiful strands of gold. Boswell's the Pavir, pick up me as to the Gemara tomorrow. Shkoyach.